Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 26, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We talked about four types of preparations that was made for Jesus' death. If you were with us, you know, first of all, we talked about Jesus' death was predetermined by God. In other words, Jesus knew that he must die. He knew exactly how he would die. Give me your attention. He knew that he was born to die. It was all predetermined. And then we talked about talking about preparations that was made for Jesus' death. We talked about the fact that Jesus' death was not only predetermined by God, but it was also plotted by the Jewish leaders. As they gathered together while Jesus talked with his disciples on the Mount of Olives and the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people, they gathered together, and the Bible says, by deception and trickery, they sought to kill Jesus, to take him. And then we talked about talking about preparation. We talked about Jesus' death was not only predetermined and plotted, but also perfumed by Mary. Boy, do I love that. Mary took that very expensive oil, ointment, And she came to Jesus and she broke the alabaster box and she poured the oil over Jesus' head. And the the oil ran down Jesus' head and through his beard and soaked his clothes and down to his feet. And then John chapter 11 tells us that Mary took her hair and she got down at his feet and she began to wipe his feet with her hair. And we pointed out that it was Mary who then began to smell like Jesus. Why? Because of worship. Mary began to smell like Jesus. And as I was studying this week and even yesterday, you know, I came across a very interesting scripture and it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. Isn't that an amazing verse? We are the fragrance of Christ. In other words, question, what do you smell like? I mean that. I mean, when people see you coming, you come in to work on Sunday or on Sunday morning, hopefully in church on Sunday morning, but you come to work and people see you coming. I mean, what do they think about you? They look at you and say, oh, man, here comes a Christian. And, man, the, the, you know, they're, they're sweet. That's a sweet person. Even if they're not a Christian, that's a sweet person. The, 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 the fragrance that, that, that you emit from your life, from your spiritual life, does it smell like Christ? And people say, man, that's a sweet sister. That's a sweet brother. Or that's a sweet person. And I want to know what makes them so sweet. Do you smell like Christ? Or when you come into the room, do people say, 
oh man, that person stinks up the place. What do you smell like? The fragrance of Christ. We as Christians, like Mary, are to, ought to be worshiping the Lord, and therefore in our worship of the Lord, we begin to smell like the Lord. And we become the fragrance of Christ. Some leading to life, and some just stinks, and leading to death. Very, very interesting, the scriptures teach us. And then not only was Jesus' death predetermined and plotted by, by, by the Jewish leaders and perfumed by Mary, but, but also Jesus' death was prearranged. We talked about this last week by Judas as he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Well, listen, this morning, taking notes, we're continuing to talk about the preparation of Jesus' death. This time, Jesus himself makes some final preparations before he goes to the cross. Two points in our outline this morning, if you're taking notes. Number one, Jesus prepares for his death by celebrating the Passover. He prepares for his death by celebrating the Passover. We'll talk about that in verse 17 through 25. And then Jesus prepares for his death by instituting the Lord's Supper. That would be communion. We'll find that in chapter 26, verse 26 through 30. Let me turn there myself. Matthew chapter 26, saints, we pick up this morning in verse 17. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Now, well, that was only 10 of y'all with me. Well, let's see. Matthew 26, verse 17. Saints, if you're with me, say amen. amen. Much better. Now on the first day, underline that, the first day of the feast of unleavened bread. The disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare? Notice, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus said, go into the city to a certain man. Underline that. Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And so the disciples, they did exactly as Jesus directed them. They prepared the Passover. And when evening had come, in verse 20, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say, Lord, is it I, Jesus, is it me? And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And then in verse 25, Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, teacher, Rabboni, is it I? And he said to him, Jesus said, you said it, or you got it. Now, stop right there and give me your attention. Last week I told you we talked about the Passover, and I can't go too much into it in the interest of time, but we talked about the fact that the Passover is the most ancient of all the feasts among the Jewish people. Got a pen? Write this down. There were three major feasts among the Jewish people that they celebrated. Three major feasts. Number one, the Feast of the Passover. Number two, they celebrated the Feast of Pentecost. 
Pentecost means 50th. The Feast of Pentecost. And then lastly, they, served, they, 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 they celebrated, commemorated the Feast of Tabernacles. You will find in Exodus chapter 23, verse 14 through 17, that very same thing. Three major feasts, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Passover, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Pentecost was also known as the Feast of Weeks. It commemorates the provision of God during harvest time. That's what they remember. And then the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booze. So you got the, the, the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, the same thing. You had the Feast of Tabernacle or the Feast of Boots, B-O-O-T-H-S, which commemorated the wandering in the wilderness. Don't you remember as they wandered in the wilderness, they slept in tents, and these tents were made out of palm branches. These little A-frame Quonset hut type things were, 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 were made out of palm branches. And they actually had like a sunroof in them, which was cool. And at night, they could lay in their tents and their branches, and they lay in there and they look out into the stars, and they would remember how God was keeping them during the 40 years of wilderness wandering. And then we have the Feast of Passover, which is the one we want to talk a bit about, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Those two are often connected and people will often say the feast of Passover when they are referring to the feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread as one. The reason why because the feast of Passover and unleavened bread actually this feast was one eight day period. Give me your attention. Was one eight day period. The first day of the feast was the feast of Passover. And then the remaining seven days of the feast was the feast of unleavened bread. The two were so closely connected together that this whole period became known as the Passover. We talked about it last week. The Feast of Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread commemorates or they remember their time in Egypt when they took the blood of the lamb and posted it on the doorpost and the lintel, which formed the cross, remember? And when the angel of death came through, the angel would pass over that house that he saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. So the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are the same feast. It's just a period of time, an eight-day period. Very important to understand. The other thing that's very important to understand, if you're still listening, say amen. amen. The other very important thing to understand is that the, during a four-day period of the Passover, each family was required to select a sacrificial lamb. On the day of Passover, the lamb was to be taken to the priest. And during a two-hour period from 3 to 5 p.m., during a two-hour period, all the lambs were to be slain. Remember last week I told you 250,000 lambs, according to Josephus, a Jewish historian, 250,000 lambs would be in Israel at that time ready to be slaughtered. It would require 600 priests to slaughter, on average, four lambs per minute in order to accomplish the task. Now, I tell you that because the priests, as they're slaughtering the lambs, would be soaked in blood. The pavement would be, the pavement would be, would be running with blood. The people would track the blood through the city during the Passover. 
And then in verse 28 of our text, fast forward to chapter 26, verse 28. It tells us, notice in verse 28, for this is my blood, Jesus says, of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Understand something. The sacrificial lamb of God, Jesus Christ, shed his blood for many. Jesus Christ shed his blood for many and his blood was a once and for all payment for sin. Not many lambs, but one lamb. Now I point that out to you, listen to me closely. In the Old Testament, as they brought the lambs, Lord help me, I'm gonna run out of time. As they brought the lambs in the Old Testament, those lambs could not take away their sin. The blood of the lamb in the Old Testament simply covered their sin. It's almost as if this cup were my sin, our sin. This is our sin. And when the Old Testament saints, people of faith, people of Israel, bought the sacrificial lamb to be shed for their sin, the, that blood from that lamb would cover their sin. But the sin was still there. But as the father would look down, because they came in faith by bringing that blood, the father would look down and have mercy on the people because their sins were covered by the blood. It's in Hebrews that says the blood of bulls and goats could never take away their sin. Couldn't happen. Wasn't supposed to happen. But the Bible says that when the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, shed his blood once and for all, here is our sin and here is his blood. Jesus' blood, when you receive him as your Lord and Savior, his blood will come and cover your sin. Not only will it cover your sin, but the blood of Jesus Christ will take away your sin. And now when the father looks down and he sees you, he doesn't see your sin at all. Why? Because it's been taken away by the blood of the sacrificial lamb of God. If you understand, say amen. amen. Now this is huge for you to understand that God is not looking at our sin because to him, what sin? God, I'm such a sinner. Oh yeah, I'm such a sinner. I got so much sin, God. I'm trying to serve you, God. I'm most sin I got. God says, what sin? Oh, my sin, God. You know, we try to talk God into looking at our sin. We're like, God, find some sin. Please, find it. And I'm like, no, I don't talk him into it. No, no my sin's covered, gone. It, now, now the blood of Jesus Christ washes me white as snow. Though your sins be as red as crimson, Isaiah said, I shall wash you whiter than snow. Now he doesn't see my sin anymore. I've been cleansed. Been cleansed? Absolutely. And I love the song. What can wash away my sins? Come on, help me, people. What can wash away my sins? Nothing. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I can wake up early and get happy about that. Thank you, Jesus. Now, point number one in our outline. 
<laughs> Sorry. We're going to move quick. I told you to get a pet. Notice in verse 17, because that, that was huge for you to understand, okay? Notice in verse 17, it was on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples asked Jesus, note this, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now it's Thursday morning, in just a few hours Jesus is going to suffer and go to the cross. It's Thursday morning. The disciples had a bunch of stuff to do. Not only did they have to take the lamb to be sacrificed by the priest to the priest, they needed to buy the unleavened bread, they needed to buy the wine, they needed to buy the bitter herbs for the celebration of the feast. And so you want to notice that it, they, they didn't ask, Lord, what do you want us to do? They said, Lord, because they knew what to do. They said, Lord, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover meal? He said to his disciples, according to our text. Now, in Luke chapter 22, we know that those disciples were John and Peter. So Jesus says to Peter and John, go to Jerusalem and they will see, notice, a certain man. Mark chapter 15, you got to put the gospel accounts together to get the whole story. Mark chapter 14, pardon me, tells us that they will see a certain man carrying a pitcher of water. Now you might think, what's the big deal about a man carrying a pitcher of water? Well, because we don't get that. We don't understand that. So what? A man's carrying a pitcher of water. I mean, people carry water all around all the time now. I was in the gym the other day. And this guy came in with the biggest pitcher of water I ever saw in my life. I mean, it was like huge. He needed like help getting it in. It was huge. And I'm looking at that guy carrying a big pitcher of water. I said, you must be the certain man in the Bible. There he is. Sermon in the gym. There you go. See, carrying a pitcher of water in our culture, no big deal. But in that culture, a huge deal. Why? Because carrying pitchers of water was a job that was reserved for women only. It was a job for the woman. All right, ladies, don't shoot me yet, all right? But in that culture, if a husband said, you know, I'm thirsty. Woman, go get me some water. Woman, go get me some water. Now, 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 in those days, let me tell you. Now, in these days, if that happens, you know, a husband said, woman, go get me some water. What I look like. <laughs> you know, y'all you know, just go crazy now when we ask you to do anything. Let me tell you something. Elvira's out of town, California. So, I'm going to say what I got to say. I'm saying what I got said. You know, if she, if she tell y'all, if y'all tell her I said that, I'm gonna go, nah, I ain't say that. <laughs> Give me all them people lying on you, Rodney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, that, see, see, nowadays it doesn't work, but in those days it was a job for a woman to be carrying. It'd be almost like today, it'd be as odd today as say, you know, if the Lord said, you know, go into Raleigh and you'll see a man carrying a purse, pushing a baby carriage and wearing lipstick and a bikini. <laughs> maybe it's not so odd. <laughs> I mean, but 
but you know, it's kind of odd. See, it was a woman's job back then. So men, you know, women didn't, you know, that's why Jesus is the great liberator. Ladies, you need to say amen. You know, Jesus is the great liberator. See, he put everybody equal. Everyone's equal now. There's neither Jew nor Greek, you know, male nor female, but we're all one in Christ. See, he's the great liberator. Oh, Jesus and Paul, they're chauvinistic pigs. Somebody told me that one time. They just chauvinists. No, they're not. Jesus set us free. Jesus set you free. You just don't understand. So, you know, in those cultures, it was a very difficult, uh, different, unusual thing. Now, notice they, Jesus says, well, you go into the city and you're going to find a, a, a certain man. I just got to point this out real quick. This certain man is not named. He's kind of the unnamed servant. This is a guy you don't even know. This is a guy they didn't know his name. This is a guy his name is not recorded in the scriptures, but yet he was a guy that was mightily used of God because he opened up his home for Jesus and the disciples to come into his home to celebrate the Passover. And nobody knew his name. And you know, there are a lot of unnamed servants in this church and nobody knows their name. I want to take the time to thank you. You know, the kitchen, there's a sister, and you know who you are, and, and you know who you are. And uh, I was going to say she's here now, but I don't want y'all looking around. Is it you? Is it you? But there's a sister who comes here every single Friday, and she cleans that kitchen in this church. And y'all know how the kitchen is now. Nobody don't want to clean the kitchen. We don't, Elvira's out of town. My kitchen ain't been clean since she left. <laughs> y'all want to come over? Come on. Please <laughs> help. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. And uh, but but this lady, she comes and she cleans the kitchen every single Friday, and nobody knows her name. But when you show up on Sunday, the kitchen is clean, the counters are wiped, the dishes are in dishwasher, the zinc is clean. By the end of Sunday, the kitchen is toe up again, and she comes in again. And and I want to thank her, and many many people, and say Lord's blessings to you. We don't know. Nobody knows your name, and people are not going to come and thank you and pat you on the back. But that's better. That's better for you, actually, because your rewards will be great in heaven. When you get to heaven, you're going to be saying, you know what? I thank Lord. You're going to be in heaven, so talking to the Lord. You're going to be like, in, in Lord, I thank you that Pastor Rodney never thanked me. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Lord, I thank you that he never thanked me because in his never thanking me and not giving me my props, my reward is great in heaven. For people who always thank you and they go, oh, you're such a wonderful job. Oh, Steve, Michelle, all oh, the worship is, oh, my God. You know, oh, when I leave, oh, oh, thank God for you. Or Pastor Ronnie, you know, that sermon was awesome. It just changed my life. Good job. Do you know the rewards for people who are always seen are, are not going to be as great as for the people who like clean the toilets. No, I've never heard anybody come up and go, oh, 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 the bathrooms, the toilets are spick and span. I've, I've never seen anything like it. Oh, I'm, oh, thank you, Jesus. Who cleaned those toilets? I've never seen that. But the person who cleaned the toilets, they'll get in heaven and God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's a big old crown for you. So heavy your head can't take it, can't hold it. The unnamed servant. 
And so the disciples, they secured the house and they made ready for the Passover and everything is set. And in the evening, Jesus sat down at this table called the triclinium, which is actually a three-sided table. And they would just kind of lean back on pillows on the floor. And the host would sit in the middle of this table. And the host would be the one to designate who sits where. And so John chapter 13 tells us, and we know, that it was John who was sitting on the right side because he leaned on Jesus' breast. And we know from the text that Judas was sitting on his left. So what we have here is at this three-sided table known as a triclinium, we have Judas and John sitting in the place of honor. And while they're eating, Jesus drops a bomb. He ruins the whole atmosphere. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say one of you is going to betray me. And they said, did you note this? They said, is it me, Lord? Jesus, am I the one? Did you notice that? They didn't look at Judas. I find it interesting. They didn't even know Judas wasn't with them. They didn't know Judas was a betrayer. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.